0: we about you he's great hallelujah you are greater yes you are holy one you walked upon the sea you raised the dead you raised majesty Everything written about you Is great Hallelujah You are great You are great Oh, you are great, Lord Oh, you are great, great. Please, if you know the song, you can sing along Jesus. You are great Oh, you, you are great. great You are great you are great, And everything written about you is great. He will, demons, tremble out presence. What a mighty God, what a mighty God we serve. you is great. Our father will declare in unity in agreement that everything written about you is great. Lord you are great. You are great in the whole universe. Even scientists talk about the multiverse. Lord you are great everywhere and you are great in our lives. We know you, Lord, as our great God. We approach your word again humbly. We approach your word with reverence. Feed us again, Lord, today with that dew from heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe it, please say it loud. Amen. Once again, I want to welcome everybody to this fellowship. It's our time for the Word of God. And we've taken our, our Bible reading, and as it's written in our bulletin, the topic for today's message is the spirit of understanding. If we all remember, at the beginning of the year, our theme for the year was stated as increasing in the knowledge of God. We're increasing the knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is a theme for the year. And as part of that, today we're talking about the spirit of understanding. Now the text we read, our Bible reading for today from the book of Colossians chapter 1. That's the main thing. There are two portions to that that's very important for us to note. The earlier portion, Paul was giving thanks to God and praying for the saints of God in the church in Colossae. Now, if you notice something about the prayers of Paul, they follow a particular consistent pattern. Of which, what I want to bring up from there, you can see this in the book of Ephesians also, it always, when he he wants to pray for people, when he wants to pray for the church, or when he would want to pray for the church of God, he always had one primary prayer point. These days, when we Christians go to church, or we go for all night prayer meetings, we tend to have a lot of prayer points. I remember... One of my friends, when I was a resident in Luth, she went to church one day and we saw her next day. She said she went for an all-night prayer service. And she says they had something like 400 prayer points for one night. I was alarmed that how did you manage 400 prayer points in one single night? What were you people saying? And we had a very good laugh about it. That they prayed the whole night and had over 400 prayer points for one single night. Till now, this was many years ago, I have not been able to wrap my head around it. But if you look at Paul, Paul had very few prayer points. When he want, when he wanted to ask people to pray for him, his own prayer point was always, pray that doors will be open for me to preach, pray that I will have the boldness to preach. That's all. He hardly ever had any other prayer point. Maybe one or two things added to this. He never talked about the supply of his needs. He did not asked for anything specially for himself. And when he want to return prayers to people when they want to pray for the people of God, his prayers were limited to a few things. And the primary thing you will find out is in that book of Colossians chapter 1, in that verse um, um, uh, 9, beginning from verse 9. he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's always the main thing he focused on. There are a few other things he will ask, that your love may increase towards one another, and all of that. But it's always the primary thing. If you read from the book of Ephesians chapter 1, he will tell you that, I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. It's always the same thing. And why did he used to pray like that? That's one thing I have meditated about, and I have an opinion about it. And I think it's like this. This is what I think. This may not be the whole truth, but definitely this is a, a good part of it. Now, Paul understood something that the way God wired us as human beings, the most important thing for us in our hearts is for us to be able to have. Uh, let me use a word, and I will explain it. For us to be able to have control of things, I'll give a very good example or a way to illustrate it. Many of us drive, and now if you are used to driving yourself most of the time, the day you sit on the passenger side and somebody starts driving you, you start noticing everything is wrong with the person's driving. And why are you speeding so much? Then the man will remind you that you speed more than this. <laughs> now, so why does it disturb you? It is simple. When you are the one speeding, you have control. You know when you are going to hit your brakes. You know when you are going to switch to the left or the right. So it doesn't bother you that you are going at the 120 kilometers an hour. It doesn't bother you. Why? You know your brakes are good. You know you have good control. You can see everything around. But if somebody else is doing the driving, no, you don't have that confidence anymore. The major difference is lack of control. It's not his speed, it's lack of control. That's one thing I noticed about human beings. Something happened to me, I'll give you as, as an interesting example. I got a new phone sometime last year. And the phone had this bad habit. The phone used to vibrate when I didn't want it to vibrate. It wouldn't ring, there's no call, there's nothing. But I noticed that when I pick the phone, it gives me a little, it's not a shock, it's vibration. Short, sharp, so when I pick, it kind of startles me. That used to happen. And there was a new phone, a high-end Samsung. And it was really, really disturbing to my soul. Now, why on earth would this phone be behaving like this? Anytime I want to pick the phone, I'm ready for it. Once I pick it, it gives me a small jolt. You know, It's not really a shock. It's just normal vibration. One single pulse, it hits my hand. And then, of course, the typical person that I am, I wouldn't let that rest. I sat down, went online... Went on the internet and began to research why on earth my new phone behaves like that. Now I'm going somewhere with all of this talk. Then finally, I stumbled on it. I found out that it was a notification on a Samsung phone. So that from the time you dropped your phone to the time you picked it up, if there was a call, a text message, or any notification that came in, you hadn't read. So it rang, maybe you were not nearby. When you pick it, it gives you a small shock to tell you, check your phone. I said, okay, number one. Number two, they said, if you don't like it, do this, do this, do, do this, and you will turn it off. And this is the interesting part, I have never turned it off. <laughs> I didn't bother. I went there, saw how to turn it off, but I looked at it, okay. I just realized what happened was that now I knew I had control. Then I had peace. When I didn't have control over it, it was disturbing. Why would the phone do what I didn't want it to do? Why would it be vibrating when I don't want to vibrate? Now, when I found that I could turn it off, I've used the phone for a long time now. I'm still using the phone today. I didn't bother to turn it off. And I became the person explaining to everybody that this phone has a special feature. You will like it. <laughs> that teaches me something. Human beings will like control. That is why if a woman is in labor, she's shouting and screaming. We can be rubbing her back and telling her do, but we are not bothered. Why? We know where the pain is coming from. We know the aim of the pain. We know the purpose of it. We expect that in a few hours this pain will be all over. And all of us will start rejoicing. But if she had pain less than a quarter of that intensity, but she's not pregnant, then there's worry. Why? We don't know where it is coming from. But if finally one day somebody says, oh, it's the kind of vegetables you ate when you went to the village yesterday, normally you pass after two days. That's it, day we all forget it. Peace of mind comes to us simply because we have understanding of the situation. So I believe that that's one of the major reasons Why Paul will pray for people. That what I'm praying for you is that God will give you understanding. He will give you wisdom. He will give you knowledge so that you will understand the things that are happening on the earth. And that's what Jesus used to do. Those days when he was speaking to his disciples, he would tell them something like, listen, I am telling you this so that when it happens, you will not be alarmed. He would tell them, we are going to Jerusalem. Now you will see the son of man beaten. He will be taken, then he will be crucified. And Peter was alarmed. Why are you saying things like that? And of course, the Lord rebuked him. He shouldn't talk like that. But the point I want to bring out is that he made them know ahead so that when they will observe it, they will know why it is happening. So for him, that was the stability for their soul. And he even told them that at the time will come in life, you will see all of these things happen towards the time of the end. He said, when you see it, don't be alarmed. If anything, lift up your head. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near. So he was telling them that Christians, his followers, his disciples, should understand how to interpret the affairs of life when they don't have that understanding. That's the reason why they are disturbed. That's why he told them, in fact, he gave this illustration, that look, when a woman is in labor, we know this is what's I mean, we understand the pain. But then when the labor is over, we rejoice because a man has been born into the world. He told them in the same manner, react like this, when you see these tribulations coming. That is, if we understand the purpose of any trouble in life, we are able to handle it easier. No matter how terrible it appears. If we understand the purpose of it, we are calmer. If we understand why it's happening, we are calmer. Even if it's a terrible thing. In fact, I have a very, very bad example, which is a very good, good example to illustrate what, what, my point. David had an experience like that. It was just a few years ago I understood. David, one, at the point in time, his son, um, Absalom, rebelled against him. And of course, a lot of the Israelites gathered behind Absalom, wanting to dethrone David and take over the throne. So, battle broke out, of course. They had to go to war to settle the matter. And he called his commander as he was going to battle. He told Joab, please deal kindly with the boy for my sake. Now, all the while we thought it was because he just loved his son, and I thought so, and I I still believe that there's a large um, portion of the reasoning, right, That's one of the reasons. But the truth I found out later, was that, that was not the major reason David said that. If I remember when, um, Amnon raped his sister Tamar, David did not say anything. And it upset me when I was reading the book, uh, the Bible later, that why wouldn't this man just speak? Why is there, are you allowing this kind of disorder inside your household? I mean, we saw the consequence of that. Later on, Absalom arranged and killed the, his, his half brother because David did not do anything when, Tam- when um, Amnon did what he did. All that calamity was up. Absalom was away from the house for a long time. Then one day they returned to Absalom and then he, he, he plotted against his father. And David said nothing. It was one day did finally understood why he was calm. It was, I mean, he was unhappy, but he was calm. Why? Because when he took Bathsheba and he killed Uriah, when the prophet came to him, the prophet told him, Look, of course, we know the story. He first gave him a proverb. A man took a goat that belonged, an only goat, when he had plenty. And then David was was just raking and ranting. I'm going to deal with the man decisively. Then the prophet said, you are that man. Nathan, the prophet, told him, listen, this is what you have done. Even though I blessed you, was not speaking the word of the Lord. I blessed you, but you still went ahead and took the only wife that your right-hand man, in case we do not know, Uriah the Hittite was one of the strong men of David. Most people who know that story don't know that part of it. He was one of those men that used to fight for David at the risk of their lives. That was the person whose wife David took, and that was the person David murdered. So David repented, we all know. And Nathan said to him, no problem, you have been forgiven. He said, but because you have caused the name of the Lord to be blasphemed amongst the Gentiles, he said, nevertheless, the sword will not depart from your household. He now began to tell him the things that will happen. I will stir up rebellion inside your house. I have forgiven you, but I want you to get the point. I want everybody else to get this point. He said, the thing that you did in secret, it will be done to you openly. And in fulfillment of that word, even though David took Bathsheba in secret, God did something. Absalom, listening to a particular bad counsel from the mouth of Ahithophel, he went and slept with his father's concubines on the rooftop. So that the whole of Israel will see that's what he's doing. Why all of that was happening? David was calm. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. We must get the point. But he understood why. He understood where he began from. And he knew the principle that this will come to an end when, like the Bible says, when the indignation is over. So he was calm. Even after the the war was fought and his men won, which of course they knew they were going to win. Well, a long story about that. Haitofer gave a counsel and Absalom did not listen. So they knew that was over. So they finally lost the battle. And David won. David did not return back to Jerusalem. He sat outside the city until the elders of Israel came and invited him back to the throne. Why was he behaving like that? Simply because he had understanding of the situation. Like I said, he's not a very good example to the body. But he illustrates what I'm saying also very well. That you see that David was calm. It was a bad situation, but he was calm. He knew that this was going to turn out in a particular way and he knew where it began from. The same thing with Paul. Every time Paul would be in distress, Paul would just smile over it. He said, none of these things move me. Why? Each time I'm doing this, I know what it is coming out to produce. They put him in prison. He said, because of my imprisonment, the whole of the household of Caesar, they've heard the gospel. So people outside they're praying that he should be released. He said, I I need to stay a little longer. There are some soldiers that have not yet come to hear this gospel. The man was calm. He was calm. There was a time he said, listen, my life is being poured out. I'm going through a lot of sufferings, a lot of tribulations. He said, but I rejoice in one thing. I know all of this is for the betterment of your faith. So much that even though we find from the scriptures, Paul had, many people don't realize it, Paul had control of whether he would die or he would live. So he wrote to the Philippians. He said, I like the King James English there. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two, which means I'm in the middle. I don't know which one to choose. That English is is so beautiful. I mean, it's straight betwixt the two. He said, whether to depart and be with the Lord, which means to die and go to heaven. He said, or to stay behind on the earth. I don't know which one is better. He really was sitting down every day considering, should I die now or postpone the day of my death? Uh, 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 uh. If I die now, all this trouble will be over. But if I die now, their own troubles will begin. Ah, uh, No, 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 no. He finally concluded, I think I will stay. Why? You still need me around for certain issues. So he remained. No matter the machinations that happened during the judgment, nobody could sentence uh, Paul to death. Why? His time had not come. Then one day he took a pen and wrote a letter to Timothy. He said, I think I've done everything. I've written all the letters. I've done all the encouragement. The work I'm supposed to do is over. He said, I think it is time now for me to be poured out as a drink offering. I am ready to depart. I have kept the faith. I have fought the fight. He just said all of that and the man was calm. So the day the man, the tradition has it that he was beheaded, I'm sure the man was not disturbed. They woke him up in the morning, today's your day of execution. He said, okay, you guys are ready? I was ready before you were ready. <laughs> if I remember one of the films I watched about him, he got there and he, he knelt down beside the chopping board and nicely laid his head down. Nobody held him. Closed his eyes and the axe came down and his head was off. I remember the story of Policap who I heard, famous Policap. The man that said that all these years, is it seventy years? I have served him, and never has he ever disappointed me. Why do I? De- why should I denounce him now? They were talking when they said he should denounce the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I like the story about Polycarp also. They wanted to tie him to the stake. Said Polycarp, said Why tie me? I'm not going anywhere. He stood still while they set him on fire. Now sometimes when will see such stories who wonder, Ah, if they want to set me on fire, I will run. No, they have to tie me with chain and everything. They wanted to tie polycarp. He told them it's not necessary. He stood there by himself in the midst of the wood. And they set it on fire and he didn't move. And after some time, he dropped and he died. Now, why did these men behave like this? It's simple. They had understanding. They knew things that average people did not know. When Stephen was being stoned, God opened the heavens and he saw what it was like. We were seeing the stones hitting him, assuming he was feeling pain. At that point in time, pain had been shut off from his body. Why? He was focused on the glory higher than what everybody else could see. We may have feeling, feeling people have been crying, hey, 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 they are killing Stephen. Stephen was looking and seeing things that people, people would have killed themselves to see also. That is why Paul always prayed for understanding for people. When he sees a, a church of believers and he, he wants to pray for them, he gets on his knees and says, God, give them understanding. Give them revelation. Let them see what other people are not seeing. We know the story of Elisha. Elisha was on the mountain. The king said, go and arrest him and bring him. And soldiers surrounded the mountain. And the man was not disturbed. The servant came to him and said, alas, my master, how, what are we going to do? And he prayed one prayer. He said, Lord, open his eyes. As soon as God opened that young man's eyes, oh, he saw the reason why his master was not disturbed. That they were actually surrounded by God's angels, God's soldiers were around them. So he was not disturbed. It is what we see, it's what we understand that decides how we respond to life. Many of the times people are bothered, they are disturbed, their blood pressures are going up and down. It's simply because of lack of understanding. So as Christians, that's the primary thing that we need. Understanding. We need understanding. Moses experienced God. Till today, he's the greatest person that the Jews recognize. Next to him, David. But the Jews, they treat Moses the way um, Muslims treat Muhammad. For the Jews, Moses is something else. Yes, he was. Moses went to Egypt, operated 10 different plagues, divided the Red Sea, brought water out of a rock, brought manna from heaven, all kinds of things. Then one day he met the Lord and they were talking and he told God only one prayer point. He said, please, show me your ways. I have seen all the works. But why do you do what you do when you do them? Why do you refuse to do some other things when you don't do them? I want to understand why. I want to understand why. It's easy for you to say, okay, lift up the rod. And then um, um, the the, the, sea will part. But why do we have to lift up the rod? Why don't we hit it on the ground? Why? And that's something that's inside the hearts of people. That understanding. And when people are given the opportunity... Who really understand life? That's one thing they ask for. God give me understanding. But like I said, my message is that spirit of understanding. We need to understand God. But let me just quickly go into that. We need to understand God. We need to know Him. We need to. In fact, my own understanding of life as of today is that the whole of our existence on this earth is for one single purpose. That we may know Him and understand Him. That's it. Everything we do along the line is to facilitate, facilitate that. We are here today studying the word of God together, but we'll go back to our homes. Even being in the homes is so well can understand God. I, uh, there's an illustration I use for that. I said, I never understood why God was so angry with Saul so that he rejected him from being king because of, he disobeyed his word until I found myself in positions of authority and I began to hand out instructions. That was when I wanted to kill Saul myself. I wanted to kill Saul on God's behalf. Say, God, the one you did to that man is not enough. But when I was put in positions of authority, I remember after I got married and after my first um, son was born, I suddenly understood what it means, how God felt about His children. Before I could not understand why my mother used to worry so much, Ah, you are going somewhere? Eh, have you reached there? Why well, you write those days? Write me a letter when you get there. Hey, I am not going to write you any letter. Just trust that I am fine. But I was the son; she was the mother. <laughs> Then when I became the parent, I had to, I don't worry like my mother used to worry. It's not good. And, but the only reason why I don't is because the Bible says clearly I should hand the worry over to God. But the reason why people should worry now I understand. That is, there are things about God we wouldn't understand until we pass through certain experiences. It was from being in positions of authority, becoming a husband. Those two things helped me to understand why God kills all. When I became a father, I understood when sometimes people say that, look, you have to give to God before he gives back to you. I don't believe a word of it. One, because it's not in the scripture. Then number two, because I can't even demand that of my children. Why would God demand it from me? Just by understanding the heart of God. I mean, by understanding the heart of a father towards the children. I understood the hearts of God. And I knew that certain gospels people preach don't make any sense. They said, if you want God to bless you, you will give him something. I said, listen, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if you want the blessing of God, ask for it. James said, you have not because you ask not. So why do Christians give? I always like to say, they give simply out of love. They give simply because they understand that this thing that this money is needed for is a good thing. So people ask me, how do I give? I said, identify the need. And if it doesn't gel with you, if you like if I go to a church, I've been there before. In a church and they say, okay, this is what I want to do now. And they brought one funny project. I told my wife simply, five couple of my money is not going into this. Why? I said, it's stupid. But there are projects other people don't think is important. I take my money and put it inside it. That's how Christians are supposed to relate. Not that if I don't give to God, he won't give me something back. I don't agree with that simply because it does not tie with the fatherhood of God. And the Bible tells us while we're yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We couldn't give him anything when he gave us the most important thing, his only begotten son. How do to understand this from my experiences in life, from how I feel as a father? And Jesus used to use it to, to illustrate you. He said, you, even though you are wicked, but you are a parent, will you not give to your children this? What does that tell us? Our experiences in life, is they are supposed to help us understand God. That is the purpose of life. That is the purpose of life. But like I was saying, how do I get to know Him? How do I get to understand Him? Now, one of the things we see a lot of times in life, which again, if you think about it properly, you know these things don't make any sense. People want to prove to you that there is no God. And what is the proof they use? I have one. Day. I remember our famous uh, social activist in Nigeria, Taiwo He said that uh, one day he asked God for something, and God did not give it to him. It was like bet, uh, like a, uh, a bet. God, if you don't do it, that means you don't exist. <laughs> I feel like telling this man, sir. As wise as you are, this one area you are very, very unwise. In which case, you understand? Did you give everything your children wanted to them? You ask God, so they now say, okay, I asked God for, uh, I asked daddy for 5,000, and he didn't give me, that means there's no daddy. I said, no, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes people come up and they start giving arguments to prove there is no God. Very common in the Western world today. They'll explain things like, look at all the problems in Syria. If there is a God, why didn't he stop the war in Syria? See all the refugees who are dying on the seas, that they are moving over to Europe. If there's a God, why didn't he stop it? They make it look like as if God is afraid of killing people. <laughs> But we know from the scriptures, God is not afraid of killing people. He doesn't. He doesn't like it, but He does it when it is necessary. There was a time He wiped out every single person on this earth, minus one single family: Noah, his wife, their three, his, his three sons, and their wives. He didn't have any problem with it. They make you look at women and children are dying. There were women and children on the earth when God flooded everywhere and drowned everybody. He didn't say because there are women or children and children. No, we would not kill them. No, what God does, we understand his character. He warns people ahead. And say, these will be the consequences, alright? If you don't obey what I'm telling you. I was listening to one particular man of God, who I always recommend. His name is David Paulson. David Paulson said, if you read the laws, you will see there was nothing Hitler did to the Jews that God did not promise ahead. There was nothing Hitler did to the Jews that God did not promise. In fact, there is a particular Bible on, uh, on CD that I listen to once in a while. If you hear Moses narrating a particular part there, you will understand what the person was saying. The, God told them through Moses, that if you disobey me and walk persistently in disobedience, going after other gods and all of this, he said, by the time I'm done with you, the sight you will see will drive you mad. And the man narrating it in that particular Bible um, uh, Bible on CD, his voice was so dramatic. He said, The sight you will see will drive you mad. The way he said it, I said, there's nothing Hitler did that God did not promise. So some of these questions people ask about, is there God, is there no God? It's because they don't understand his character. But even beyond that, what gives a human being a right to say God's character must fit with my idea of what is right? That's where I want to start my message from. For us to be able to understand God, we don't start coming to him, expecting him to ask, answer questions that we have set up for him. Why did women and children drown when they were crossing the sea they're from Syria, down to um, from North Africa, down to Lampedusa, somewhere in Italy? Why? And God says, is that how I will prove that I exist to you? Who are you that I should be asking such questions, answering such questions? This is how God does it. Anybody who wants to understand him comes by faith. That's it. You first have to come to God, and the Bible says, "And believe that He is." God doesn't give any explanation for His existence. He considers it an insult. For the concept God to come into your head, you should, that automatically means there has to be. There has to be. And if there is a God, then there are certain kind, There's a certain level of decorum we must have when we approach Him. For example, we cannot come to Him and start questioning his abilities, we don't come to him and start questioning his reasoning. If we think one way and he thinks the other way, automatically we know what we are thinking is wrong. That's what it means to have the concept of God in mind. And that was why, when he started the Bible, he did not give any explanation concerning his existence. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't like it, leave it there. Don't go to verse 2. If you believe that the earth and the heavens started by one Bang that came out of nothing but was so big everything came into existence. Don't read verse 2. God doesn't have the time. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't give proof that he exists. No, he considers it an insult for anybody to ask him to prove that he exists. That's why he never answers anybody. So Paul said it like this, that in the book of Hebrews, we read it, he said that he that comes to him must believe that he is. That's where it starts from. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That is, that's the, co- when I talk about spirit of understanding, it's from that point that one now begins to understand God. Many people want God to explain himself first, then they start following him. Because they no, I don't behave like that. You follow me first, then I will satisfy your curiosity as we go on. Not that I, I tell you, okay, let me prove that I exist. God said, no. And when things were happening to Job, these were men of faith. Job obeyed every law of life that he understood. There was a time his, his, his friends, three of them, sat with him and they went line by line through the school of righteousness that they all went to. Explaining the things they learned in class. If a man does this, this will happen. If he doesn't do this, this will not happen. By the time they were done, they took the turn one by one. Build that sofa. They were taking turn one by one. When I read the book of Job, they were repeating the same thing. As if trying to prove to Job that if you hear it enough, you will believe it. Job said, listen, whatever it is that you are saying, I did. Point out one to me. He went through the list of sins. He said, even if I secretly worshipped other gods in my heart, he invoked a curse upon himself. That is if inside of my heart I secretly worshipped the moon without anybody saying it. He said, what are you talking about? If you are talking about kindness, go and ask all the widows. They came to my house for help. The fatherless, I was their father. Cases that did not concern me, I went after it and solved it. Yet he had all these problems. All of them said Job, you must be seen in secret. He said if you don't have any answer, be quiet. Then one last person beyond the first three, Eli who spoke up. He was the youngest of the lot. Up to that particular point, he said nothing. But there was something he said which is very interesting. He said, now I'm going to give you my answer. He said I will draw my knowledge from afar, but this point I'm coming to, he said I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. What does that mean? That I'm starting here to explain that no matter what is happening, it is right. Whatever God does is right. There's no saying that God is not just. We don't, The concept of justice outside God does not exist. For us to say something is just and not just is a rudiment of the knowledge of God in our hearts. So, Elihu said, that's where I start from. He said, I will draw my knowledge from afar but in everything I must ascribe righteousness to my maker. That is the fundamental thing that he was working by, is that we know God is just. And Moses said it later. He said, in fact, I, I think, let me just quickly, because I've been doing all the talking, let me just read a particular portion of the scriptures. That's from Deuteronomy. Moses was speaking. I'll just read it out. In chapter 32. He said, give ear, O heavens. I'm starting from verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 32 from verse 1. He said, give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For now, this is verse 3, verse 3 and verse 4. He said, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. Describing God in verse 4, he said, he is the rock. Now, notice this. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. He says, righteous and upright is he. Now, if I may summarize it. We swallowed this first it becomes a foundation for the spirit of understanding in our lives. Too many people have the habit of questioning God just because they've had a lot of experiences in life. Unfortunately, that is not that is against the spirit of faith. If we don't have the spirit of faith, we can never understand him. This is the summary of how God wants us to approach him. That whatever you do is right. Job's own was so dramatic. After he said everything, he said, even though he slays me, he said, "Yet I will trust Him." That is the spirit of faith. That is the spirit of understanding. That is the foundation for getting to know God. In this world today, there are too many people. Who have, I, I, because of you know, I read science things, I read a lot of news, I read current affairs. When I hear people talk, there are people. There are famous philosophers who rail against God, and I laugh because maybe because God has granted me some understanding. Their arguments are so foolish. I am amazed that many people follow them. People like Dawkins. And people make so much noise about men like Dawkins. Who is Dawkins? The Bible says a foolish man says in his heart, there is no God. According to scriptures, he's a foolish man. But even looking at his arguments, you see they don't make sense. It is a man who, and that's one thing about atheism. People say atheism is it means there is no God. It's not true. Atheism means I am the God. Atheism is not lack of religion; it's a type of religion, because it takes more faith to believe that everything around that arose out of nothing, than to believe that somebody we cannot see created them. There's a man I like to quote. His name is so difficult I can't repeat his name. Very, very long name, Sri Lankan origin, but a professor of um, astrophysics, then at Cambridge. The man explained. And he doesn't believe in God, Is a Buddhist. Buddhists don't believe in a personal God. They believe in spiritual things, but they don't believe there is a person, God. But he testified in court once, they were talking about creationism versus evolution as science. And he was trying to explain that, what they call uh, new, Darwinian, uh, new Darwinian creation theory, uh, evolution theory. He said it makes no sense. And this was his argument. That the likelihood that the smallest molecule needed for the existence of life on earth, as we know it, could have arisen by chance is in the order of one, that it, the likelihood is one to ten raised to power forty thousand, the chances. That these molecules, it, it picked one molecule that could, that's critical to the existence of the simplest form of life on the earth. That it could have arisen by chance. The chances are in the order of one. They calculated it scientifically. One to ten to power forty thousand. And that all the atoms known in the visible universe is only one, is only 10 raised to the power 89. Now listen, that except one is biased by prejudice or preconceived notions in his mind, the idea that life as we know it arose out of nothing is totally thrown out of court by that argument. I said, it makes sense therefore, that anybody who still believes that this came out of nothing is a determined worshipper of the God called no God. It's a religion because it takes faith for somebody to look at evidence and throw it away. It has faith in something else. And why I say atheists are people who have placed themselves in the position of God is that they are saying, God, account yourself to us, then we'll believe in you. Saying, therefore, that I'm higher than he is. I understand more righteousness than he does. I know if I were God, I wouldn't let children die in Africa. If I were God, I wouldn't let Syrians die crossing the ocean. If I were God, I wouldn't let there be famine anywhere on the earth. That is people saying they are God. They know more than God. That's the reason why they reject him. It is not because the existence of God is not, is not probable. I wrote an article sometime ago after I read about the concept of multiverse. I said, how can anybody say there's no heaven? When even scientists have seen, they, they said one long story about it, that there's, there's a particular likelihood, now that physicists have discovered, that this universe may not be the only universe there is. But then in that universe, he said, we will never be able to contact them because it will have been formed on different laws of physics. I said, is that not what the Bible calls heaven? Why are we arguing over things? But people reject the knowledge of God because they place themselves in a position they don't realize that what they are supposed to do, first of all, is to do what Elihu said, ascribe righteousness to our maker. Is to do what um, Moses also said, that's what I read just now, that our God is perfect. His ways are just. Good and upright is he. If anybody approaches God with that kind of perspective, God will tell him everything he wants to know. I've read the scriptures and realized that God likes people. What I mean by likes people is that we may be 6 billion or 7 billion on the earth. There are people he knows. He knows everybody by name, but there are people he calls their name with fondness. That is a matter of fact. When the angels came to Daniel, they made a statement to him that tickles me every time I think about it. They say, we have come because we are praying. He said, why? Because you are a man of high esteem. That is in heaven, when Daniel will pray, God will give special attention. I noticed after in the book of Daniel, that the whole, all those prophecies about the future that Daniel had for himself, it was given to him for personal consolation. It was not a message to anybody. That was why the nation of Israel did not count Daniel as a prophet. The day I found out, I was surprised. They included the book of Daniel with the book of Esther, with the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Those books went together. He said, these are historical books. Why did you not count Daniel as a prophet? Simply because Daniel didn't give us any message from God. I said, but what about all these messages? I realized reading this book of Daniel that they were given to Daniel for personal consolation. Yes, he wrote them down and we Christians came later and saw those that those things were fulfilled I we say, indeed, this man was a prophet. Then we took the book from where the Jews kept it and included it amongst our own major prophets. But what struck me, it struck me about it is that this man had understanding from God because God wanted to give him personal consolation. What's my message? If you come to God with this attitude, God will know you are the maker. He has placed himself in the heart of everybody. We can cry out to him. If we cry out to him, okay, I don't understand this, but I know your way is right. I don't understand it, but I know your way is just. After that, when we go to him like that, it's called faith. That's what faith is. With that attitude of faith, anytime we inquire about anything, God will give us understanding. And that's the purpose of life. Life is not about physical achievements. Life is not about making a name for ourselves. No, not at all. The only thing that is checked by the time we leave this earth and go over to the other side, is how much knowledge of God have I acquired because it becomes my I don't want to use the word physical because it's spiritual but that's now the characteristics in the realm of the spirit by which a man is identified it is the knowledge of God that has developed in his heart it is the knowledge of God that has developed in our heart what's my challenge towards this evening is for us to return to God again in prayer and say lord reveal yourself to me i now realize that all you are trying to do is to have me understand you what is the spirit of understanding That thing that is inside my heart that ascribes righteousness to God. When things happen, I don't understand it. But I know God is right. I know God is just. I know God is wise. I know God knows what he's doing. I know God is my father. I know he's watching over me. I know with every experience of my life, I am getting to know him better. I know I'm getting transformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I follow life like that. That is what is called the spirit of understanding. And like I said earlier, then God starts explaining things to people. Sometimes somebody dies. God says, do you know why? This is the reason why I don't want you to be bothered. There are people that God would give revelations. Look, this happened in your absence. In fact, one man of God, I like his story so much. He, w- he went to a man's house, a, 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 a family. He was staying with them. And then everybody began to cry one day They said, what's the problem? They said that the daughter got missing. He said, don't worry, she's coming home. They said, did God tell you anything? He said, no. He said, but... If such a calamity will happen in the house I'm going to stay in, he will tell me. If he didn't tell me anything, nothing bad has happened. He said, don't worry. She's returning home. He said, as soon as he finished saying it, suddenly he had a vision. And he saw where the girl missed her bus, entered the wrong bus, and went to a different city. And this was before before the days of uh, phones and all of that. So after, of course, it took them a day or two. Finally, they located where she was and returned her back to the house. And she said, listen, I told you guys ahead of time. I can't be living in your house. And the calamity like your daughter getting missing will be in the orphan. And I wouldn't know about it. He so, said, no. That's not how God and I relate. That is somebody who understands the knowledge of God. So when they gave Moses the opportunity, what do you want me to do for you? Moses said, please, show me your ways. Show me your ways. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask a for name for himself. He just said, Lord, show me your ways. That is what is called the spirit of understanding. I hope I made a point this evening. Can we just bow down our heads and ask God, show me your ways. Let me understand you. I want to know you more than ever before. Let's just take this time out to pray. From the bottom of our heart, let's cry to him. Say, Lord, it's not my natural knowledge. I want the knowledge of you. I want to know you. I want to be transformed in this life that you have given me into the image of Christ. I want my spiritual features, my characteristics to be evident in the realm of the spirit as you are increasing me in the knowledge of you. Say, Lord, I pray for myself again that you will fill me with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That I will walk in a manner worthy of you to please you in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work and to increase in the knowledge of God. Let's continue to pray. all the mighty God we serve glory, glory, hallelujah everything routine about you is great demons tremble not in prison what a mighty you God know? What a mighty God He said no. Glory, glory, hallelujah Everything, routine about you Please pray You are great are great, Lord, you are great, oh, you are great, you are great, you are great, Lord. Everything we see about you is great. Our Father will give you thanks because indeed you are great. Everything about you, Lord, is great. Your work is perfect. Your ways are just. We acknowledge you as our just God, our true God, our great God, our perfect God. And we worship you with our lives. We worship you with the breath that comes from our nostrils. With every thought of our hearts, Lord, we worship you. we we'll give you all the honor in the name of Jesus Christ.